Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? We are on part two. Uh, we're doing a listener's choice, uh, just a two-part series here um, to talk about questions and answers that have come in. And uh, if you didn't hear last week, you don't have to necessarily listen to these in order. They're just uh, questions as they've come in. Um, so, Bobby, where we kind of left it off was uh, we had a question here was, how do you monitor your own self-awareness each step of the way to keep yourself in check? And we kind of combine that with another question that came in around how do you regularly check in with yourself to think about your inner game? So two very um, self-aware, kind of emotional intelligence type questions uh, that we'll combine and talk about uh, how we've approached these types of things. And I, I think the first book that comes to mind, if you're a book reader or book listener, is uh, the book Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It's a great book. Um, it kind of breaks it up into two different components. One is um, your your personal competence is your ability to be aware of your emotions and how you manage your reactions. And then the second part of that is social competence, your ability to be aware of and understand other people's moods, behaviors, and their motives, and how to manage your relationships as well. Uh, it's a really good book. It's not too dense either. Uh, while it's a very dense topic, it's not an overly dense, um, uh, not an overly dense uh, book. The way it's written, and I, I think the key here is just know what triggers you. Um, make a list of the exact people, situations, environments that cause you to uh, spin up certain uh, types of emotions. Uh, sometimes that can be spinning up uh, depression. Sometimes that can be spinning up how. Uh, you know, getting yourself fired up uh, and not and not responding to that email is, is just kind of making a note. Uh, I've got a list in OneNote of, of these types of things. Um, and then when you start to see the trends in that and exactly how it uh, upsets you or irks you, uh, you can learn to manage, to better manage those types of responses. Yeah, this is a, a big topic. And we've talked about this book and topics like this a number of times. And the questions are probably more self-aware than even I could ask the questions. So whoever asked them is probably ahead of the game uh, for me anyway. But uh, something I struggled with early on in my career, something I still struggle with today, mostly it's the emotions and moods of people around me, right? I'm, I've used it as an excuse, but it, it is reality. I'm so focused on accomplishing my results or my goals that unfortunately I do leave some people in my wake uh, in the business world and uh, it's not intentional most of the time, but it does make people around me feel that they're putting me off or that I am put off for some reason. And most of the time I'm just focused and trying to get something done. But the things that uh, trigger me, I have a few high-level topics that I keep top of mind that I have to remove myself from. And I've told some stories about my son and the, the fly school lately, but this week a great example came up with my son. He's He's an improving golfer, and on the driving range, he says, Dad, I just feel like everybody's staring at me and thinks I suck. And I'm like, no, they're staring at you because you're pretty good. And he goes, well, I just think that they're going to hit a bad shot or whatever. And so he's triggered, and no one's saying a word to him the whole time. It's just the the socialness of the people around him or 
irritating him because he he thinks they're thinking bad thoughts, right? So he's got to find a way, if he's going to be a good golfer, to figure out how to separate those emotions so that he doesn't get riled up when really and truly nothing's happening. And that's kind of the point is that a lot of times when I get fired up, the people that are firing me up are not intentionally firing me up, right? It's it's my own thoughts that are creating those things. So um, tip there is to write these down and make sure you understand if they really are a problem that you should even get fired up about to begin with. Yeah, what I do is uh, I've got – uh, one note I keep I keep a pretty uh, big set of one notes stuff for work uh, stuff for home stuff for the podcast stuff for tech sales lab and um, some of this Bobby we share and collaborate with together on which we'll talk about in an upcoming question um, but one of those tabs in one note for home is our certain situations um, I even go so far as to say I don't know if you have these I think uh, I jokingly with my brother we talk about how this is what separates us from cats is that we can look back on a situation and cringe on it 10 years after it happened. I've kind of started to list those out. What are those things that kind of pop up to my mind and why, why are those things popping into my mind that happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago to kind of, to better understand myself and better understand why that, that created some sort of such a big emotion for me. Um, so I, yeah, for me, it's just kind of tracking it back. If I start, if I start to feel a certain way, what, what incident led me to feel that way? And then why do I feel that way? What am I trying to defend? What am I trying to protect myself from? And the, and the quicker I can come to some sort of, um, I don't know, find some sort of correlation or common theme across those things, the better I can, the more I know about myself. Well, I'll say this. We've worked together and been friends and co-worked for a long, long time. There's nothing I'm thinking about from you 10 years ago, Brian. So if it bothers you, <laughs> I can assure you that it's one of those self-contained things that you're letting uh, come back up that's bothering you. The second part of this question is one that I, I think I've learned to uh, do better at, and that's the regular checking with yourself. Uh, it's not it's not something that's scripted. It's not something I do every quarter, but it's when when things get out of whack, and I bet we all know when things get out of whack, right? Uh, work's drowning you. You're waking up. You're having those anxiety moments and not being able to go back to sleep. Um, home might not be great. Whatever's going on, you, we all know when we kind of get out of whack. It really is just like take a step back. Are these things important? What have I said yes to? I shouldn't have said yes to. What can I get off my plate today? Is this thing that's creating this level of anxiety really that important? Normally, it's not. Um, and I think you just got to find a way, whether it's meditation, whether it's a silent moment, whether it's prayer or study, you find a way to break away, get your mind and heart back where you want them to be and let some things fall off, kind of shake some things off. And you'll you'll be much more fired up doing the things you love and want to do for sure. And we're recording this during the COVID time. If you're listening to this in a future date, um, I, one of the challenges that's going on right now is we get a lot of work from home, a lot of Zoom phone calls. And uh, it's for me, it's just getting outside and get a little sunlight too um, and, and changing it up because it is very easy to get started early in the morning on your email and then not finish up until 6 o'clock and not have those natural breaks that we do when we're out in the field. Um so something else to consider there as well. I think a part two to this is um, observe the ripple effects that's of what kind of of how you respond to these types of things. Some people respond outwardly. I'm one that tends to clam up and just kind of get more pissed off quietly. 
Um, that's how I react to it. And um, so take note of how, of what your reaction is to this too. And then how does that affect other people? It, it sometimes can be just as impactful if you clam up than if you outwardly, if you have some big outburst uh, because they, they know you're just as mad uh, one way or the other. But kind of take note of that as well, uh, of how you respond to this and what kind of ripples that may be creating too for you professionally or personally for that matter. Okay. Uh, second question is um, uh, this person is saying uh, I don't I don't have time to do all the things that I need to do. Uh, is I'm, I kind of shortened up the, the the statement from the email there, and um, and I do get this. There, Bobby, you and I are kind of involved in a lot of a lot of different things, and um, uh, you've got a daughter in college uh, that. It's coming back and forth and a son that has golf tournaments and uh, own a flight school and run the podcasts. Uh, how do you how do you manage it all? How do you keep yourself uh, organized? Well, first and foremost, Outlook is my uh, both crutch and organization tool, right? Email. If I, I have a lot of notes to self uh, that I send while I'm uh, while I'm thinking of things, I have ideas. I have um, probably gravitated more towards tasks uh, on my iPhone or reminders on my iPhone that that keep keep popping up, and I snooze and keep track of those things that I need to get done. Uh, we we know that for good or for bad, we are tied to the OneNote for the rest of our lives uh, on how we organize our content of lists and things like that. Um, and and maybe an Excel spreadsheet or two that that manage my life as a whole, but. I would say mostly Outlook and, and OneNote and reminders is how I keep track of everything and don't let things fall. I'm I'm still amazed at people around me that can just drop the biggest ball in the world and not even realize that like, oh, I forgot all about that. And I'm like, man, how do you do that? Um, and they often probably say, how do you not let a single thing fall through the cracks? And not that I'm perfect, I just... I might not finish the work, but I know the work's got to be done at some point, right? And I have a reminder that pops up. So um, those tools probably keep me grounded and sane. Um, I still have things that I don't have time to do, but I think we've mentioned it before. I, I have learned to say no, and I have learned to make it clear that I'm not going to do that thing. That uh, is not it's it's not on my list, so then I'm not going to do it, and I let people know about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been way better about saying no and not leaving that door open because that's yet another thing I need to follow up with. If I want to do it, I'm going to do it. If I want to think about it, I'm going to think about it. But if it's something I'm not planning to do, then I say, look, I'm, I'm not in right now. Uh, I will reach back out to you if I change my mind on it. And just that way I do not owe that person another follow up. They don't feel like they have to follow up with me. Um, that's been a really good way for me to keep things in order. Um, I, I too use Outlook, not just for work, but for home. I've got a home laptop on that home laptop, I have the full version of Outlook uh, loaded on it. I've got multiple email accounts. Um, I, I like to wake up in the morning to to zero emails unless those emails are from someone about something specific. So I have filters set up on Outlook to where all the hundreds of Amazon purchases get filtered into a specific folder. All the bills and just notices, uh, you know, a bank notice or a bill notice or utility notice that goes into a bulk folder. I check that bulk folder every period, every so often. Um, but I guess the purpose is I try to reduce the noise. I try to reduce the notifications on my phone and focus on Trello, T-R-E-L-L-O. Trello is a 
just basically a to-do app, and I, I manage everything from that. Bobby and I were catching up before the show, and it was an action that I, I just thought of while we were talking, something I needed to take care of on Saturday, and I'd drop into Trello. I add that onto a card. Uh, that card is the immediate stuff I've got to get done this weekend, and uh, it just doesn't it doesn't slip. To your point, Bobby, it doesn't mean it always gets done on time the way I want it to, but it doesn't get forgotten. And um, what I find is that things that kind of keep getting pushed and pushed and pushed probably aren't that important, and I delete them off the to-do list. As much as I hate it sometimes, I delete it off the to-do list. Yeah, that's what's amazing is most of that stuff you write down, that in that moment, was, oh, it's urgent. It's this Saturday. i got to get it done. You mm-hmm. punt it. You punt it a few days, or maybe even a week, and then you realize, man, I don't know why I was going to give four hours to this out of this exercise or this event. Um, I don't want to anymore, and then you end up punting it. The other thing that you said that is interesting, and and probably the opposite of what people are drowning in this type of stuff are doing is, you really are reducing the noise. I have. Uh, a wife that probably has 400 newsletters that come to her inbox, right? And the the the, the typical 10,000 unread emails in her inbox because the noise is just too great that she probably misses some important stuff. Uh, it's it's something that Outlook hasn't ever been as important to her as it has been to us. So the, that's not her to-do list. It's not what, how, what manages her. But the people that do have a lot of noise in their inbox like that uh, can never – get through the noise to get to the work. So if, if you find yourself asking, how do I don't have time for that? What, what is taking up all of that time? Really put a clock on yourself and figure out how many, how many newsletters am I deleting and never reading? So why not just create a rule? So they go to that folder. If you don't want to stop subscribing, then put, create a rule. Um, you'd be surprised that out of the important emails that I really need to tend to, it's probably less than 20 a day that are really critical that need my time and attention. And I don't have to look at my phone every three minutes to get myself to inbox zero. I just do it two or three times a day. Yeah, I have the only the only notifications I get on my phone are my text messages and phone calls. And text messages is becoming a bigger problem, um, much bigger every year it seems. But I don't have... It doesn't say six unread email messages on my Outlook because when I'm walking around and I've got my phone with me, that is not the priority. It's it's not knowing how many unread emails that I have. I'll get to it. It will be a priority to understand what those things are and what actions might come out of it. But when I'm walking around, I don't want to see, I don't want to see twelve text messages, two missed phone calls, and and five new emails. Uh, that doesn't make me more productive. Are you saying you don't even have the red icon on there that says you have twelve mails, twelve emails? Correct. Oh yeah, wow! Badge. Yeah, I might have to try that. I have not it added the badge. I haven't got rid of the badge yet, but I would say without the Facebook badge and some other badges, I have really turned my attention away from. Them, but I have not turned the email badge off yet. I will have to test the waters with that today. Yeah, uh, and then the only other thing I'll mention is Google Sheets, or you can use Excel online. Uh, whatever you choose, of course. But um, man, we use this to manage. Um, uh, my wife and I use it to manage our personal finances, to know where our uh, different accounts sit. Uh, it's a way for us to kind of keep organized with all the accounts. And if I'm out on a bike ride and I get hit by a bus, uh, I want it to be easy for her to find out where the money sits. <laughs> so part of it is is just keeping my life organized for my uh, for my family too. Is is maybe that seems dark, but. Um, it's important to me that they know where these things exist. And then uh, my wife and I sit down and we we 
cover that and we talk about kind of this is where this investment's at and this is where that investment's at and um, we use Google Sheets to, to collaborate on things like that. Um, all right, yeah, so the, the to-do app I talked about was called Trello and then um, I guess the only thing I'll mention about that is I've got, you can set up different boards basically and you can have to-do lists. So if you've got your work one, you got your home one, uh, whatever side project you're working on, you can have a different board for that and, and add notes and different stuff to those uh, to-do lists. So it's a very handy tool. All right, uh, next question is uh, how do I communicate uh, what I know? And this person's gonna have a one-on-one -on -one with an executive. How do I communicate what I know without sounding like I'm running through my resume? We did a show on this a very long time ago. Um, but I like this one just because I, I learned a lot from it and I did a lot wrong early on from this. I can remember uh, early days at Microsoft, I'd have a one-on-one, -on -one, um, a one-on-one -on -one with um, an executive at Microsoft and um, I found myself with basically a copy of my resume and my accomplishments and I thought somehow that would be interesting to them. Um, when really it's not that at all. Um, what I found I was way more productive and had way better one-on-ones with executives whenever I came with questions, not my background. Don't get me wrong, I found ways to weave in things I've done in my career um, because I, I wanted them to know it, but I started more by um, asking about them and their career and how it impacted this or that. And Bobby, what's the uh, what's the uh, Del Carnegie comments? Uh, person's name is the is the sweetest sound in the language to them. Sweetest sound they hear. Sweetest sound they hear. And so, really, my goal was to just um, have them talk about themselves, have them talk about their accomplishments, and that led to a really robust conversation. Nice. Yeah. The uh, the tricks there are really. I guess they are tricks, but the part that you mentioned about asking a question in the context that you kind of get the answer you wanted for yourself is pretty easy to do. And mm -hmm. I think I also had those epiphanies early on and had mentors that gave me that guidance. And if I, if I, if I admired and wanted to be kind of a central region vice president and I didn't want to go to that person or someone that worked for them and ask specifically, how do I do that? I would just start asking the questions, how did you do that? How, well, how were you able to go and what roles prior to this role was imp were important to you that helped formulate your skills and, and, and abilities to make you a great GM, great vice president? And it was really me just saying, what do I got to do to get to your seat, right? And But it sounded much more and was much more about them than it was me. Um, and I think people appreciate it. And even if they see through some of those questions, They'll be talking about themselves instead of talking about you, and uh, should be easier for them to have that conversation for sure. And I, you'd be surprised to think so few people have those kind of conversations on a reoccurring basis. So it, you met, you might find that this is refreshing to them. You know, I, I, I still don't get a lot of these types of calls um, to to have these types of meetings, and uh, I'm certainly not a, a vice president at Workday. Uh, but uh, certainly I get a lot of the expat. How do I get into that? How, you know, what does that next step look like? But um, be able to distill down what makes you unique or uh, special in, in just a few different points or maybe even just one different point. They're not going to remember eight items that make you unique or eight different things that you've been able to accomplish. Uh, so be able to distill it down and understand what makes you unique, what you, makes you unique and what makes you tick. Um, and then also be really careful about what you ask for and what you sign up for here too. I think it sometimes can be compelling 
or you might desire that, you know, I want to go this, I want to move up this ladder. Um, you may end up, if that's not truly what makes you happy and not truly what you want to do next, you might find yourself with a whole bunch of series of tasks that um, are leading you there to something that you don't really want to do and not something you really want to deliver on. So be really thoughtful about what it is that makes you tick and then have that ready for that conversation as well. Okay, uh, next, and if, you're, if you've got an executive one-on-one -on -one or, or something like that and you want to talk it through, happy to do it. Um, those are certainly fun conversations to have. Agreed. Um, I loved this question. Uh, it's, it's how do I ask questions and be seen as an expert to the uh, prospective customer at the same time? Um, so I came up with a few different ways, Bobby, to, a few different ways to ask questions. Um, and so I'll, I'll jump into those. Um, and these may seem obvious, but I, um, this, this makes the assumption that you do have some sort of expertise. And if you don't, then you got to do the research, uh, of course. Uh, but what I, these are some things that I use. Uh, here's what customers have told us. Do you find that to be true? Uh, when I worked with customer X that's in your industry in this town, um, what was really important was this part of their business. Is that the same with you? Um, when I, uh, you know, this was, a, yeah, the same kind of thing. This was important to them. Is it important to you? And I, I guess the, the key, how do you be an expert? You're, you're an expert because you have stories. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about a guy we worked with, Bobby, uh, about 10 years ago that was kind of notorious for telling stories. And I, this is the big part about being an expert. You're an expert because you've got a repertoire of, of, of things that you've encountered over your career that will have commonalities with upcoming customers that you meet with. So um, have that list ready. Tr a true expert kind of, they can just rip it off, right? Like those are things that just are off the tip of their tongue. Um, but if you're, if it's not a repeatable thing for you, you've got to come prepared with those stories in your one notes, uh, so that whenever that, op you know, the time is opportune, you can bring it up. Yeah. The, uh, the person that just reads a corporate slide deck about their products and questions that you should ask customers obviously aren't experts and they don't sound like experts. Um, someone who maybe has read some of that content and then gone out and done some research on the customer and understands the industry at some level and then goes and talks about maybe some items on the 10K that would be relevant <clears throat> to the customer and or items from the industry that would be relevant to the customer, start to announce their expertise for sure and then gets the fortitude to ask some questions uh, like an expert would ask them, right? Because you're going to come off as a professional and someone who's really trying to help the customer, not someone who's just trying to put a square peg into a round hole. Mm -hmm. One thing I did really early on at Workday was put together a, a Google sheet of all of the reference quotes that we had. Uh, and then I had a column for industry and I had a column for the role type that they were in. So whether they were in finance or HR they were in the tech industry and then what the quote was and my aim was to memorize those in chunks at a time so that whenever I was sitting in front of a customer and they said um, you know what what's really a challenge for us is uh, we have all these different entities in different countries and we don't have a good way to understand their performance across entities without having to you know grab IT and have them build some reports for us or you know wait for a batch process to update and that in my head triggered off three or four quotes that I could reference from existing customers in their industry, in their role type. 
and uh, and be incredibly relevant to them uh, and be an expert to them and then even you know offer up to get them connected with them on a reference call. Those are really powerful things that that you it comes across as an expert, but it also like it further positions you in the sales cycle too because you're 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 speaking of accomplishing something that they're faced with a challenge that they're faced with presently. So it kind of helps you uh, from a twofold standpoint. Well, we're, we are talking about work getting done here and the work that we did, you did spreadsheet wise, keeping up Mm -hmm. with that, memorizing those things, me doing the customer research, you doing the customer research. Those things are what we do to become experts. And so maybe the person asking this question wants to ask questions and kind of be an expert, but I mean, really it is just the hard work, right? And I have no idea who asked this question, but if you aren't the expert, focus on that piece first before you um, try to be the expert and then ask questions. It, it won't work if you haven't put in that level of effort first. Agreed. All right, the last one, and Bobby, I'm hoping this is a strength of yours because this is not a strength of mine as an introvert. Uh, there is, however, a guy on my team that is just so, so good at this, and I'm just amazed at how he does it deal after deal. Um, and so the question is, uh, probably from somebody like me, it says, uh, how do I walk the halls? and get to know uh, people in other departments. And I'm, I'm going to make the assumption here that they're talking about doing that so they can you know, have multiple touch points in a deal or expand their deal. Um, I think that's the context in which they're asking the question. This is certainly not a strength of mine. I'm, a strength of mine is being able to, to manage a room and lead a room and, and help get our point across and understand their position. And I am decent at that. That is a strength. I am not good at... At sometimes physically walking the halls and uh, and getting other people to join in. Is this something, Bobby, you've been able to do over the years? Well, I can do it, but this is not the one thing I like to do, right? While I'm an extrovert uh, and outspoken and all those things that come with an extrovert, I am not – I think winning others over from a strength finder's perspective is 34 out of 34. Okay. Um, so I'm not that guy that loves to go do this, but I am the guy who knows how important it is. And have intentionally blocked out my calendar, decided that on Mondays after lunch I would spend 30 minutes intentionally doing this, try to get to know one person a week. I've been been through different tricks to keep me focused on this activity so that I could do it. Um, but no, it's not natural. You know, I don't, I'm not the guy who walks in after lunch with my Coke in my hand and just says hi to everybody and catches up on kids and family because, again – the excuse has always been, I need to get work done. I'm here to work. I'm going to go back to my office and focus on work. So I probably didn't do enough of it, but I definitely did try to block it out on my calendar and probably had to keep a list of questions in one note or t- details about people and their kids in, in their contact card and in my phone just so I would keep up and be able to go have an intelligent conversation with them. But if if it's not a strength, like it's not for us, it's just, it's one of those things that is important. You just got to go out and do it and you got to break down whatever barriers preventing you from doing it so that you can expand your network and get to know people. The gentleman on my team, that's very, very good at this. What he does is puts together a uh, value hypothesis for, it's a very thin one. It maybe just be a few sentences about, so let's say that he's working an HR deal and that he's trying to bridge to finance and try to trying to broaden the deal, right? Expand the, the value of the deal. Uh, let's say that HR is meeting with them and they're on board and, and they're, you know, the deal's going well. He'll he'll use those relationships that is on the HR front and say, hey, one of the things that our, our customers on the HR side find um, 
valuable is whenever they can align the HR and finance data. You know, he'll have kind of a narrative built out, right? He'll say, is there someone on the finance team? I was thinking maybe, you know, Judy, your controller. Is she around today? Like, do you think you could just introduce her to me? And I, I mean, he it's almost 100% batting average. And Judy's not always there, and she's not always available to chat with him. But nine times out of ten, he's in front of that person. And how much more likely is Judy going to be able to... How much more likely is Judy going to be to respond to an email follow-up versus just a cold, blind email, you know, two days later? Of course. Yeah, versus the email six hours later after he meets her face-to-face in person. Um, And I've seen him do this with remarkable success and again and again and again. And again, it's not my street. I don't love doing it. Uh, But it's a great... um, uh, it's it's a great opportunity for sure. But one reason why Will is good at this is um, he has the ability to be genuine, right? He's not he's a sales guy. We're all salespeople. But is he doing it just to get to that person, or is he doing it because he thinks it really will benefit the HR team and make the the project and the solution a much better tool for their organization? I side to believe that he truly thinks that he's helping the whole customer, the whole company, and really is an, is a genuine person doing it. He's not just trying to get to Judy. Couldn't agree more. All right, Bobby, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please do continue to send in any sort of uh, questions you've got. Um, we love doing this one uh, every couple months. So with that, we'll wrap up. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Average is the enemy. Average sucks. Don't be average. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.